Well, good morning, Calvary. Uh, truly, it is a joy, it's a privilege, and it is indeed an honor to stand before you this morning uh, to deliver God's word. Um, I'm grateful for Pastor Jim, for Pastor Tom, um, for allowing me this opportunity for their prayers, for their support, and their mentorship along the way to teach on such a wonderful and joyous subject such as, <laughs> such as money. Um, would you please bow with me in prayer before we go to Lord and begin our time of discussion? Father, what a joy it is to worship and to praise you. To worship and praise you alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and to hear a common theme amongst every single song that you are indeed faithful. Faithful in times where we weren't even faithful to you. Faithful in plenty and faithful and in lack. Father, you have been faithful to us and we love you and we praise you for it. It's been a joy to worship you through song and to worship you through our giving. And now, Father, we have an opportunity to worship you and to hear from you through your word. So, Father, would you deep please speak to your people? Allow us to have ears to hear, a mind to comprehend, and a heart to receive. We've dealt with some difficult subjects, Father, but you've been gracious with them all. And we indeed believe that you'll be gracious with us as we talk about money. So bless us now. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So prior to starting Calvary in July, I spent roughly the, roughly the last 19 years with a company that I hold to very high esteem to this day, which is Meyer. I started in the stores when I was 16 years old and worked through high school and through college. And upon graduating Davenport University with my MBA in accounting, God graciously opened up a door for me to continue my Meyer career within the finance department within the corporate office. I remember that first Friday where I received my paycheck and my mind was blown because I was faced with the reality of making the most money I'd ever made before in my life. And what began to happen was that slowly this love for money began to grow on the inside of me. Now, granted, my wife and I, we were still taking care of our responsibilities. We were paying our bills. We were frugal with stuff, but still, there was this love for money that was growing on the inside. This little blaze was igniting. Well, it even got a little worse because over the next year and a half while being in, in Meyer in the finance department, I received three promotions within a year and a half, each coming with their own salary increase. And a little bit of a blaze that was festering on the inside of me with respect to love for money turn into an all-out blaze. See, this money, it opened me up to a lifestyle that I never was accustomed to. It opened me up to an image that people had of me. It opened me up to just a wider range of options of what I could do. It was growing, and it was a blazing on the inside of me. Short time later, while I was working at Meyer, God opened up an opportunity for me to begin my seminary journey. And while I was going to seminary, the Lord began to speak to my wife and I about shifting me from the corporate world into full-time ministry. A couple years from that, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to engage in conversation with Pastor Tom, Pastor Jim, and Jerusalem Project about potentially becoming a pastoral resident here at Calvary. My wife and I, Lee and I, we knew that this was the direction God was leading us. We knew that this is the fulfillment of what God had been speaking to us. But that spirit of greed began to speak again. Because see, with there being a difference between what Meyer would pay me and what Calvary would pay me, greed began to speak. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but with there being a difference, greed began to speak in its own unique way. Would you be able to pay the bills? Would you be able to keep the image people see of you? Would you be able to manage the cost of now having a newborn in the household? Would you be able to maintain your lifestyle? Greed was asking all these questions, and for a brief moment, I turned off the voice of God and started leaning on what greed was saying. I went to my wife, and I looked at my wife, and I told my wife, Leah, I was like, you know what, Leah? Perhaps maybe now is not the right time. Perhaps God misspoke. Perhaps God misspoke when he said, you know what, um, maybe I should be bivocation so I can maintain my lifestyle instead of being full-time ministry. And I remember my, my wife, I love my wife, Leah. I remember her, she looked at me dead in the eye and she said, Clarence, you're wrong. <laughs> I get that a lot. Clarence, <laughs> you're wrong. She's like, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. She's like, I see God at work. I need you to go back and pray, pray and ask God to open up your eyes. So I did. I prayed to God that he would open up my eyes and the Lord led my wife and I to look over our budget. And when we began to look at our budget, that blaze of greed that was festering on the inside came to light and was extinguished. The Lord began to show us ways in which how money was being spent and how we could be better stewards or better managers of the money he's given us. And after we've done this, even with everything that's gone on, we find ourselves now in a better position now than it was when I was working at Meyer. I tell you that story because I wonder how many of us fit into that narrative. That we allow the voice of greed, that we allow the spirit of greed or the love of money to speak so loud that it basically controls every aspect of our lives, controls our relationships, and even speaks above the authority of the voice of God. Or you may be in this place, you might be saying, Clarence, that's all fine and dandy, but I think we're actually doing pretty good. We're, we're straight with all that. All the while, this spark or this blaze of greed is going on in the inside, and if not caught in enough time, will burn you down financially and spiritually. When we look within Titus, Titus actually goes forward and actually talks about how we, should, how we shouldn't be with money, but also suggests how we should be with money. So it's in Titus 1.7 where we've been dwelling over the last few weeks, and it's in Titus 1.7 that he actually speaks about how we shouldn't be with our money. So Titus 1.7 is on the screen, and it says, Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. This phrase in the yellow there, not pursuing dishonest gain, in the Greek New Testament is summed up with one word, greed. When you look in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you look at the qualifications of a deacon and many of these prohibitions there are listed, for that phrase there in yellow, in yellow it suggests not being lovers of money. You can look in a variety of places. You can look on dictionary.com. You can look at Webster's for this definition of greed. You can find a variety of definitions, but... There was a definition by Thomas Aquinas that just struck me when I read it. And it's present on the screen there. Look at what Thomas Aquinas says with the definition of greed. He says it's an, it's an excessive love or desire for money or any possession money can buy. Now, if you look at you know, a variety of definitions, you might see, you know, obviously money, you're gonna see possessions, you're gonna see maybe even the word excessive. But there's one word here that is listed that just struck me. It's the word love. 
Because, you know, love is that it's the foundation. It's the root of the greatest commandment in which Jesus gives. You know, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But what love for money or what greed does is it removes love for God, removes love for neighbor, and places love on yourself and on tangible objects that add no eternal value. That's what makes greed so dangerous because greed is a matter of the heart. And while its effects are seen outwardly, it's stemming from what's going on on the inside. See, it's actually, it's on the inside. And actually, when you begin to look at the heart and look at the inside, you can see someone's deepest love and someone's deepest priorities as it relates to money. You can really analyze and see the characteristics of their heart when you see how they handle money and you see what is really important to them. For example, say for instance, we took your credit card statement. We took receipts. We took your bank account information, crossed it out so no one knew it was you, and shared it with other people here in the congregation. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? You share it with other people in the congregation. What type of characterization would they say your heart has? What type of love or priorities would they place upon your heart after looking through your bank statements and looking through receipts and seeing where you shopped and seeing how much you've spent? Would they see someone who is a good steward, a good manager with their resources? Would they see someone who is generous and gives to others? Or would they see someone that is just squandering money for the accumulation of stuff? That's what happens. It festers on the inside. And while things are going on the inside and there's this outward expression, oftentimes people are good at masking their desire for greed or their their love for money, that they're good at placing on good characteristics or essentially godly type characteristics to hide this outward appearance that they really have a love for money. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would encourage you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're using the Bibles that are in front of you in the seat there, it's page 962. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And for this portion, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 5 and 9 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting at verse number 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think godliness is a means to financial gain. Jump down to verse number nine. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Contextually here, Paul is warning Timothy about false teachers that are coming and teaching the false doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're teaching things opposite of a godly life. And these conversations that happen, they produce they produce evil and suspicions and malicious talk and all these other things, but it's verse five that strikes me. 
Because these same people, they essentially, they put on a mask of godliness or godly type behavior for the sole purpose of achieving wealth. That they have this inner desire for greed, this inner desire for love for money on the inside. And for them to get it, they place on this mask of godly behavior only to feed what's going on on the inside. Perhaps you know someone who was like this who placed on a mask of godliness and godly type behavior only to fuel their greed. Or maybe you yourself have been that person. You were there at at the right time. You said the right thing. You were there at the right moment, not because you genuinely cared, not because you wanted to honor God, but because there was something brewing on the inside of you that you wanted and they could get it for you. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've been at a car lot and you're searching for a car and, and, the, and the car salesman is exhibiting this godly characteristic of patience. They're patient with you as you're deciding what type of vehicle you want, but that salesman is not patient with you because they genuinely care. They just want to get that lemon of a car off the lot and to get the commission check from the sale. It happens. They're placing on a mask of godly behavior to fuel their inner desire for greed. Or maybe you're talking with someone and they work for a foundation or a nonprofit organization and they're talking about all the great things they do in the community and how they give money here and do all these great things. But really that person doesn't even like the foundation. They're just telling you this information to get a donation to meet their bottom line. Putting on a mask of godly behavior only to fuel their inner desire for greed. If that happens to be you, or you find yourself in a place where you are this excessive person who is greedy or really loves money, Paul confronts this behavior and suggests a dangerous path someone goes down if they find themselves in 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 these shoes. It's in verse number nine that Paul goes forth and suggests that these people, they are very easily to fall into temptation. They fall into these easy and these susceptible suggestions about how to get more money. But this enticement instantly leads to entrapment or a trap where they become trapped within those suggestions. This leads further to harmful desires being brewed up all for the sole point that when these things move to action, it leads to ruin and destruction and being plunged into it. This word plunge in the Greek suggests someone that is being, that is being forced and sinking and drowning underwater. And this is what happens When we allow love for money or greed to rule every area of our lives, we find ourselves sinking and drowning in it as we make it our Lord and place God on the back burner. Dangerous. See, what our greedy tendencies do on the inside is they convey false happiness, false security, false hope that's rooted in the money we make and have at our disposal. And as a consequence, every outward expression will be one that seeks to possess more of it either to save or to spend. And we can find ourselves on either end of the spectrum. You can be this excessive uh, spender. This is the person who money doesn't stay in their hand that long. They, they get money and instantly they're going out and they're buying things, they're buying the latest outfit, they're buying the latest technological device because their identity is rooted in what they have. They find that the money rewards them a place in social circles that it wouldn't reward them if they didn't have it. So money is used as a way of making their identity or placing them within social circles. Or you can be an excessive saver. These people, their hands are tight. You can't get anything out of their hands. 
They use money as a form of security because they figure if I can save and I can save, I can save, I, I will be okay. If, if, if uh, uh, something happens in the economy, I'm fine because I've saved, I've saved. They use it as security. Now, now me, myself, I'm not like on the far end of the excessive saver. I'm kind of a little bit past that, a little bit. I'm not totally on that end. I, I, uh, people call me cheap. Um, I like to use the language of fiscally responsible. Um, <laughs> with stuff. So much so, um, because, you know, I'm like an investor. I like to have a good return on my investment. So if I'm giving my money, I want to see a great return on my investment. Um, So much so that I've had to have a conversation with my then six-month-old daughter regarding this very um, subject with her. Um, So my wife and I, we were trying some different things with my daughter, and we decided, you know what, Let's, let's try on some formula. Let's see how she'll operate with some formula. And if you have young children, or you're a grandparent that, you know, there's young children, or you just genuinely know, formula is expensive. Stuff is not cheap at all, but it's for my baby girl, and I love her, so go out and get the formula. So we're giving her the formula, we give it to her, give her the bottle, we give it to her, we burp her and all that. But what I began to notice, like every other baby does, is that she started, like, spitting up um, the formula. And at first, I'm like, okay, this is... This is cool. It's okay. She's a baby. It's all right. But then she kept spitting up the formula every time we given it to her. And the accountant in me began to get a little upset because every single time she was spitting up the formula, she was wasting my money. <laughs> I'm serious. She, she kept doing it so much. Because I'm an accountant, she kept doing it so much that I literally began calculating in my head how much money I was losing every single time she spit up. Prime example, when she began spitting up, I began calculating in my mind that every single time she spit up, she was wasting 26 cents of my money. I figured, okay, you know what? Nora has about five bottles a day, so she's actually wasting $1.30 of my money every single day. She has to eat for the whole entire week, so now I'm calculating in my head, and now Nora is wasting $9.10 of my money a week. She has to eat for the whole month, so now I'm calculating in my mind, she is wasting $36.40 of my money every single month. I wasn't having that. (laughs) So I decided to have a conversation with my then six-month-old daughter, so I fed my daughter, and I birthed her, and I picked her up and I looked at her in her beautiful brown eyes and I said these exact words to my daughter, Nora. Daddy loves you. Daddy's waited a long time to hold you in his arms. Daddy would give you the world if he could. Daddy would even die for you. But what daddy's not gonna do (laughs) is keep losing money (laughs) because you wanna spit up this formula. So if you please, could you please just allow the formula to sit in your tummy and go through its natural process so daddy doesn't feel like he's wasting his money. It's a true story. You can ask my wife about it after service. True story. Right afterwards, I, my daughter, she looked at me. She smiled. And then she spit up on the right side of my shirt. <laughs> now, th- this funny and true story, can you see how both sides of the spectrum lead to sin? Because they instantly think of self. It's only what's best for me. But not only is this sin against self, this is sin against our neighbor. Because we're either being so tight-fisted or we're so quick to spend it that we fail to see that we could be the answer to someone's prayers who is desperately in need. 
If I can sum up this whole section of greed under one point for us to take away with, it will be this, and it's gonna be on the screen here, that the sin of greed feeds our wants at all costs as we make it our hope while trampling over the needs of others. The sin of greed feeds our wants at all costs while we make it our hope while trampling over the needs of others. Now, do you remember uh, Aquinas' definition again? That is this, this, this love for money or possessions. It's excessive, this love. And remember how we talk about it. It removes love for God, love for neighbor, places it on ourselves and on tangible things. As we journey through this section of greed, you can see that, that God is out of the picture. Our neighbor is out of the picture. It's only about us And it's only about getting more money and more stuff to feed our identity, to push us in the social circles, and to make us feel secure and hopeful. And if you really begin to think about it, as people who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, adopted sons and daughters of his, image bearers of Christ, this is not the way we are supposed to be with money. We're not supposed to be dominated and controlled by money, but rather we're supposed to be blameless. We're supposed to be faithful. We're supposed to be self-controlled as it relates to money. And just as Titus goes forth and suggests how we shouldn't be with money, he also goes forth and suggests how we should be with money. So again, going back to Titus 1.7, it says, since an overseer manages God's household. I'll stop right there. That part there in yellow in the Greek New Testament represents one word, steward. See, a steward not only had the responsibility of managing their master's household, but they also had the work or the responsibility of managing an economy. Everything that was under the master's care, the steward had the responsibility to govern and to take care care of as the master saw fit. It wasn't just one segment. It was an entire economy that the master had. And while Paul here suggests that overseers have the responsibility of being managers or stewards over God's house, we likewise have the responsibility of being managers or stewards over all of God's resources. It's actually going to be point number two under this section that we're going into that's going to be on the screen, that we are stewards responsible for being managers or stewards of all of God's economy. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6 if you're there. And look at verse number seven. Verse number seven says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now think about this for a little bit. We we brought nothing in the world, we take nothing out of it. And I love this verse because it speaks about how everything was created, is existing, and is sustained by God. Think about it. We brought nothing into the world, meaning we didn't bring anything of value to what was already created, what was already existing and sustained here on the earth. When we leave, we can't take anything with us, meaning everything that's under our control, everything that we're managing is going to be left here for someone else to do, meaning it's going to be existing and it's going to continue to be sustained. If I don't bring anything in when I come into the world and I can't take anything with me when I leave, It means that everything that is here, that is created, that exists, that is sustained, is the love or the byproduct of an all-powerful God who owns everything. Everything that we have is not ours. It is God's. And we have the responsibility as kingdom representatives to govern God's economy. 
As we join in the work of the restoration of all things on the earth, we have that responsibility of being in charge or managers over God's kingdom resources, over God's economy, over God's money. This leads to two very specific points from this section here. Number one, money is not ours. We just talked about how God owns everything. We're under God's economy. And and yes, we live in the United States and there's a treasury and there's an economy, but ultimately as children of the kingdom, we are under God's kingdom and God owns everything. So money is not ours. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking, you know, like Clarence, that's fine and dandy. I know that scripture, that's fine. But if I can be real with you, I'm the one working 30, 40 plus hours a week, bringing home a paycheck to pay the bills. I'm the one making the money. You know, I'm the one that goes to that office building. I go to that classroom. I go to that hospital. I go to that factory. I go to that kitchen. I'm the one that goes there and makes the money. Clarence, if I can even be completely honest and transparent with you, I'm the one that goes into a job that I necessarily don't like, deal with people that I'm not necessarily fans of, and I look at my paycheck as a reward for all I have to deal with all throughout the week. Or maybe you might be one of those people that say, you know what, I give God his 10%. Surely the other 90, I can do whatever I want with. If that's you, and I've sometimes thought that way too, if that's you, let me remind you again that God owns everything. Everything that we have comes from God. The job that you have, that you say you work at, that pays the bills, God is the one who created, who existed, and sustains that job. Even the physicality and the ability that you have to even go to that job and work it is not you. It's God. It's God. Everything that we have comes from God. But, but not only that, not only is money not ours, but as we have this responsibility of being managers or stewards, we manage money. Money doesn't manage us. See, this is the focal thing with greed is that greed becomes that dominating voice. Greed becomes that thing that dictates every single decision we do. But we weren't created to be this way. God did not bless us to be this way. We manage money. Money doesn't manage us. So how do we go forward and we manage money? Well, maybe we create a budget. Where we look at our income and we look at our expenses. We make sure our expenses don't exceed our income. Maybe we take a look at our purchases and we go forth and we do an analysis on them and we place them in the buckets such as entertainment. We place in the buckets like repairs and and, and, and giving and, 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 and grocery shopping and things like that and see where our money is going and if there are areas that is unnecessary or could be cut. Perhaps we take the opportunity and we take a Sabbath or we take um, a fast from consumerism where we stop looking online, where we stop going to Amazon, where we stop looking in catalogs and going to the mall. Maybe we take the opportunity to save our money, not in excess like in Luke 12 with the man in his barns where he thought of himself, but we take the opportunity to save our money in the event that if both parties in the household were to lose their jobs, that God could graciously provide over the next six months or so, so there wouldn't be no worry in the household. Maybe we start giving to God. Maybe we put God first and foremost and give to God and say, God, how would I maintain and dictate the remaining 90%? Or... Maybe we give to others. We give to people that we know. We give to people who we don't know. Maybe people who are standing on the corners and we give without judgment, choosing to look at their humanity above their situation. That's how we can be a good steward over what God has given to us. That's how we can be a good steward. Putting God first and putting ourselves back. That's how we can be 
a good steward. Now, I understand that doing this, I can understand the first thing that may be coming to your mind is fear. Fear, how am I going to be able to change up things in a way? Fear that I'll lose the image people think of me. Fear that I won't be able to maintain the lifestyle. Fear that if I start giving in certain areas, that my household budget will begin to change and I won't be able to afford things. Well, take it from me. Take it from me. I can give you this assurance that God will take care of you. As we've been singing all morning, God is faithful. And if you put your trust and lean and depend on him, God is faithful and God will provide. I'll tell you this though, honoring God as a steward and honoring God with your money is going to hurt your flesh. But God is going to strengthen your spirit day by day when you choose to honor him and put him first above anything else. So then how do we, how do we move forward and do this? How do, how do we move forward to actually be a steward that God has called us to be? What are some characteristics that we can take with us to be the godly kind of stewards he wants us to be? It's the third point I want to bring to your attention as we get ready to close our time this morning. Is that a godly steward puts on contentment, hope in God, delighting in God's good gifts, and generosity. Godly store puts on contentment, hope in God, delight in God's good gifts, and generosity. You still have 1 Timothy chapter 6 open. Go with me now and look at verses 6 through 8 and 17 through 19. Starting at verse number 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, but to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. See, remember how Paul is talking to Timothy and he's warning him about these false teachers who are teaching doctrine opposite of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And these were people putting on this mask of godliness for the sole purpose of financial gain. But you see how Paul kind of switches up the logic here? He suggests that the wealth is not the way that you get this gain, but actually it's contentment in Jesus where you experience true gain. See, to Paul, godliness wasn't so much about acquiring stuff and getting more money, but godliness was about having total covenant faithfulness in a God who you find total sufficiency and total dependency on no matter what situation you find yourself in. It's about being content. See, 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 Paul, see, well, basically a steward is content because they realize they have everything the master wants them to have. Everything that we have is exactly what God wants you to have and to be a steward over. So there's no need to be envious. There's no need to covet. There's no way, there's no reason to desire what someone else has because we have exactly what God wants us to have. But in the event that we become envious or we become covetous and we desire what someone else has as we see other people with more, 
Paul in Philippians 4.13 suggests his secret as to how he can be content that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now we should be content, but we should have hope in God. That essentially as our money may fluctuate, as the stock market goes up and down, as our savings account may be up and may be down, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We shouldn't place our hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but we place our confidence and our trust in God, who is the constant thing in our lives. We also are supposed to delight in God's good gifts. Now, instantly, there's some tension here because we just talked about being a steward and seems like not squandering away money, but God gives us everything we have for our enjoyment. You know, it's just like how we talked about with alcohol last week and how the slogan is drink responsibly. Well, with money, the slogan should be enjoy responsibly because God wants us to enjoy everything he's given us. That means you can go out to Starbucks and enjoy that coffee with a friend, although they're overpriced. You can go... (laughs) You can go out to brunch following the service this morning and not worry about anything. You can go on vacation with your spouse or your family because God wants us to enjoy everything he's given us. See, he hasn't given it to to us for us to be greedy, but he's given it to us for us to be stewards over it according to his will, which means stewarding over it responsibly, but also enjoying it. Finally, we operate in generosity. We do good. We're rich in good deeds and we're generous and we're willing to share all for the sole purpose of laying a solid foundation for the life that is to come. As we talked about over the earlier in the series, even the previous series in Isaiah, we just just don't live for today, but but we actually live for the future contingent upon how we live today. And when we come face to face with our king, we come face to face with Jesus, who is the very one who offered his body, who was a steward and offered his body as a living sacrifice on our behalf. Do you want greed speaking for you or stewardship? Before we end our time together, I want to show you an image on the screen. And the image is is a $100 bill. It's this very thing we've been talking about for the last 35, 36 minutes or so. We've been talking about how we shouldn't allow this to dominate our lives and how we shouldn't operate with greed or as in love of money, but rather we should be this godly steward who takes care of all of God's economy. Take a look at this $100 bill. Look at it intently. Now examine your heart. What provides the most value when you look at that? Is it the bill itself? Because it's $100. It can put me in social circles. It can, it can fuel me. It can identify me. It can put me in various areas and it can actually grow greed on the inside of me. Or do you find value on the four words that are present on the back of the bill that suggest where our hope and our dependency should be and suggest how we should even handle that very bill itself? In God, we trust When you leave this place this morning, you look into your wallet and your purse, or you go online, look at your bank information, and you see the money that is there. Will your heart begin to say, you know what? Will your heart begin to say, you know what? I can find security in this. I can find rest in this. Or will your heart say, in God, I trust. Or maybe you might even be in that same situation, and you look, and there's not much there. And you can begin to say, you know what? I wish I had what other people had. Will your heart say that? Or would your heart say, in God, I trust. If you see someone who is in need, 
and you're down to your last dollar? Will you allow your heart to say, well, this is mine. I got to use it for myself. Or will your heart say, in God, I trust. Or if you find yourself like me, where God is shifting you from one place to another. It seems like things don't add up in your own estimation. Will you tell God, God, no, I won't go. It's going to be uncomfortable and it won't work out right. Or will you say, God, send me. I will go. It's in you. I place my trust. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.